Runoff, a crime novel about election fraud, evokes a curious timelessness of classic detective fiction. A noir gem, says Mystery Scene Magazine. Find it in ebook or trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, it's read by author Mark Coggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com. Chapter 31. Bye-bye, Wi-Fi. What I don't understand is why Wood came up to you after he called the cops. Why not wait for them to surprise you instead of doing it himself? Chris and I had driven to the car-sharing collective to exchange the Toyota for a VW Bug. After another argument over who was going to drive, I was sitting behind the wheel with the motor off while he sulked in the passenger seat. Because he didn't want the police to bag Roadrunner, better to stampede me off than risk Roadrunner spilling his guts. I patted the steering wheel. You know, this is only going to buy us a few hours. They are going to tie the other car to you eventually, even if no one got the plate number. I know. Well, thanks for sticking with me. I didn't mean to drag you into this. I reached over, a little tentatively, to pat his shoulder. You can't drag a drag queen. Now stop with this steel magnolia sniveling and let's figure this thing out. So you think Diego killed the Wilmonts, and Roadrunner mentioned a network, which sounds very promising. Yes, and something Cassia said clicked for me. The place she said Roadrunner volunteered. The Bicycle Advisory Committee. I know where it is. It's downstairs in City Hall, right next to the elections office. Roadrunner was stealing wireless internet at the abandoned garage. Is it possible he tapped a network at the elections office and got access to the server where the election management system runs? Sure. Then I'd be right about Guyberger's logic bomb not being used. It was Roadrunner all along. We can call the election office tomorrow before they begin tallying the votes and tell them to check. If they find a security hole, they can close it. Or maybe even lay a trap for Roadrunner and catch him in the act. I wrung my hands on the steering wheel. I wish we had something a little more definite. They're not likely to take an anonymous tip very seriously. And the hole may be hard to find. I mean, they could do an audit and miss it, couldn't they? Chris nodded. Someone had put a plastic daisy in the flower holder in the VW. He plucked it out and twirled it between his palms. If there's a wireless network in the elections office, I could try to hack into it myself. The problem is proximity. Most wireless routers only transmit to computers a few hundred yards away, and that's inside buildings. We'd be trying to reach a router in the basement of City Hall from the outside. Unless you want to try sneaking in. Well, I'm sure the guards at the security checkpoint would be happy to see me. Chris sniffed at the daisy, then smiled. I'm sure they would, but maybe there's a better way. I've got a friend with some equipment. Let's see if we can borrow it. Chris replanted the daisy, retrieved his cell phone, and made a call. I understood the, Hello, Jerry, this is Chris, part but he could have been speaking in tongues for all I got out of the stream of techno-babble that followed. 
His, right, see you in 15, was more my speed, though. And when he hung up, he directed me to an apartment on Carl Street in Coal Valley, while I double-parked next to another bug of 1970s vintage, whose bumper was secured with twisted coat hangers, Chris ran up the steps to the apartment and retrieved a black duffel bag and a five-foot antenna that looked like it could be used to tune in sitcoms from Mars. He threw these into the back seat, and we took off. We barreled down Oak to Franklin and then hung a ride on McAllister. We had a bad moment at the intersection with Van S when I gunned the motor to beat a yellow light and then thought better of it. We ended a few feet over the line and a cop car pulled up beside us. I could sense the driver's eyes on me. It took all my acting experience from Mrs. Dyer's fourth grade reenactment of Valley Forge to look over at the car and give a sheepish, sorry about that officer, grin. The cop behind the wheel wagged a finger at me and went back to sucking his slurpee. We made it across Van Ness without further incident and pulled around to the Polk Street side of City Hall. It was still raining, and it was getting late, which meant there was zero foot traffic, but everything in and around the vicinity was lit like a nighttime shuttle launch. The base and the dome of the building were fitted with floodlights, and the glass doors of the entrance and various office windows shone with a blinding fluorescent light. Chris unzipped the duffel bag and removed a hefty laptop and a tangle of cables. A power supply came next, and then an adapter cord to plug into the car's lighter. He wired everything together and plugged the adapter into the car. Then he reached back to the antenna and strung a cable from the end of it to a socket on the side of the computer. Is that thing going to work from the back seat? I asked. I hope so. If not, we may have to hold it out the window. Swell. Chris booted the laptop and brought up a program called Bye Bye Wi-Fi. He twitched the laptop's internal mouse around the screen, clicking buttons here, selecting menu options there. After five minutes worth of machinations, he pronounced himself ready to begin. What do we do? I already see several wireless networks, but I think we should get a general lay of the land before we try to hack in. Make a circuit of the building, driving as slowly as you can, and I'll see what networks I can pick up. After we get the full list, we can attack the ones we think are most promising. City Hall is boxed by Polk, Grove, Van Ness, and McAllister. It would be easy enough to drive slowly on Polk, Grove, or McAllister because they are low-traffic streets bounding Civic Center Plaza, but Van Ness would be another matter. We'd either have to park or buzz along at 25 or 30 in order not to get run over. I pulled the shift indicator into drive and took my foot off the brake. We prowled down Polk, just rolling forward at idle speed. Periodically, Chris would glance up to see where we were, but mainly he kept busy pasting information from the bye-bye Wi-Fi program into another window he had opened on the laptop screen. After each entry, he would add a notation like P Street Hydrant to indicate the physical location where he had picked up the readings. When we got to the intersection with Grove, I turned right and called out the street name. Chris nodded and kept on copying and pasting. We dealt with Van Ness by zooming out to mid-block and parking. Chris took what readings he could and then gave me the green light to zoom up to McAllister. Then it was more of the same slow glide, 
except that Chris grunted about two-thirds of the way down. Something? I asked. Could be. Let's finish up and then we'll take an accounting. We coasted up to the place we began on Polk, and I pushed the gear shift into park. I watched as Chris massaged the information he had collected in the second window. A lot of it seemed to involve removing duplicate entries, but he was also sorting the data in a sequence that wasn't clear to me. When he was finished, he had three columns, one of which I concluded was the network name, the second clearly a location where the signal was strongest for that particular network, and the final was a Y or an N. What's the last column about? It indicates whether the network is secured or not. Most of them are, but there are a few that aren't. Those would be the easiest to get into, right? That's right, but unfortunately, the unsecured ones don't seem to be particularly interesting. For instance, one of them is called Traffic Underbar Court. We could probably fix a few parking tickets if we got in, but unless we can connect to the Elections Department network from there, it doesn't help us much. Don't lose that traffic court one. I've got Boku tickets to fix. But which ones look interesting now? He scrolled the window to the top and held the laptop up for me to look at the screen head on. Which do you like? There were about 15 networks in the final list, ranging from the prosaic Mayor's Underbar Office to the intriguing G Underbar Spot. But the one Chris had placed at the top had only three initials. C. V. T. I'll take door number one, Monty. I thought you might. That's the one I found on McAllister. There are only two problems. The first is it's secured. The second is the signal is pretty weak. If the encryption they are using is not the latest and greatest, we may be able to break in or possibly guess the key. But first we've got to get a strong enough signal. Drive back to that spot on McAllister and let's see if we can fine-tune the reception. I wheeled the car around in a U-turn drove past the spot where Chris had grunted, and then did another U-turn to bring us up to the building side of the street. At Chris's direction, I edged forward a few yards. That's as good as it gets, he said, but it's still not good enough. We're dropping packets left, right, and center. Dropping packets, eh? I hate when that happens. What are we going to do about it? Chris looked up from his screen with a deadpan expression that let me know I wasn't fooling anyone with my comment about packets. Try holding the antenna out the window like I said before. I punched the button to let my window down and took hold of the overgrown rabbit ears at the end where the cable connected. I pushed the whole thing into the night air, watching the rain glint on the polished aluminum. Chris produced a neutral grunt and fiddled more with a computer mouse. That's better, but it's still not good enough. What else can we do? There's plenty of cable. The best thing would be to take the antenna right up next to the building, preferably by a window. You mean take it outside? That's right. I'll give you the thumbs up if you get to a place that works. Then I'll either try to break the encryption or guess the key they are using. If we get past that hurdle, I'll try to get into the server where the election management system runs and see if I can access a database where the votes are tallied. How long is all that going to take? 15 or 20 minutes if I'm lucky. Hours or never if I'm not. I popped the latch on my door. Okay, but if this is all a ruse to get me to stand outside in a rainstorm with a lightning rod in my hand, 
you are going to pay big time. He grinned. Wouldn't that be a knee slapper? Yeah, wouldn't it? I stepped out into the rain, passing the antenna through the open window, and then threaded it and the cable around the front wheels, across the sidewalk, and over to the building. I got a good soaking on the way, but there was an eave at the second floor level that shielded me from the worst of it once I got up next to the building. I moved crabwise along the gray granite wall until I got close to a window and held the antenna near it. Chris had turned on the dome light in the VW so I could see him clearly. He nodded, then pointed upwards. I held the antenna higher, and then higher again, when he emphasized the gesture. When I had the antenna at full arm's length, he gave me a big thumbs up, flicked off the dome light, and bent over the laptop. Being a human radio tower is not the easiest of jobs. I took small comfort from the fact I was hidden in a dead zone between floodlights and occupied my time shifting my weight from one foot to the other and the antenna from one hand to the other, all while staring at Chris, looking for the slightest indication that things were progressing well. When I realized indications were not soon forthcoming, I switched my attention to a pair of earthworms that were squirming out of the waterlogged ground toward the relative shelter of the eave. Maybe they were covering an inch an hour, and maybe they had covered two-thirds of that when I heard Chris sing out. He had the dome light on again, and he seemed excited, but not excited in a good way. He gestured emphatically, urging me back to the car. I tucked the antenna under my arm and sprinted up to the passenger window. Did you get in? I demanded. Yes, all the way in. Database 2. I'd bet anything the election was hacked this way. But forget that. There's a call for you. Who? By way of answer, he thrust out his cell phone. I ducked my head through the window and brought the receiver to my ear. Hello? Who is this? Mr. Ovaltine. It's it's me, Cassia. They say you have to come. They say you have to come now or they'll hurt me real bad. Please. Ah! There was a shriek and the phone at the other end clattered to the ground. You have been listening to Runoff, a book hard-boiled great James Crumley described as a smart, funny, spooky, often touching, always entertaining romp. Find it in ebook or trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, it's read by author Mark Coggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com.